Welcome back to Talking Rugby, week two, episode two. We've survived a week, so we thought we'd come back and give you some more Talking Rugby. How are you, Matt? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. So a lot of actually has actually happened this week with no rugby being played, which I think we're both really happy about. So let's start off with some news that Freddie Burns is off to Japan. What do you make of that? Yeah, I knew, I kind of guessed he was leaving Bath. He's never been uh, favoured quite as much as he probably would have liked with Reese Priestland and uh, and that. But I didn't expect him to go to Japan, uh, put it that way. I thought maybe a French club would suit him nicely. I think he might have, a, have some ties down in France. But uh, no, he's off to Japan and I wish him all the best. There's been some big name players that have played for that club. So yeah, I'm sure he'll find success. Definitely, I think. It also gives him such a fantastic new experience and opportunity and somewhere that he can really play and sort of develop his rugby in a nation that is currently loving their rugby. I think it can be such a benefit for them, you know, the sort of experience he can offer to the club. Absolutely, yeah. Any any kind of big name that's got premiership experience, European experience, even international honours. I know Freddie's got a few caps here and there. I think he played against New Zealand uh, a few years ago, so... Yeah, a big name player for the Japanese crowd will will uh, be a bonus. Definitely, and um, there's a signing that I think you're very happy with, Matt Scott um, moving to Leicester. Yes, um, I think that will be fantastic for the club. Um, a centre position is something Leicester have kind of struggled on getting somebody that can stay fit. Firstly, um, at the twelve again alongside Manu. And I think as well with him coming in, they're kind of changing the playmaker back to how it used to be. So mm. years gone by, they used to have a playmaker at 10. And then ironically, Jordan Murphy would be the second playmaker at 15. But in the last three or four years, it's been the second playmaker at 12. Uh, Matt Tamua, Carl Eastmond. Um, yeah, but they're going back to how, how they used to play. And even with a big winger like Alex Tuolangi on the wing, uh, Nandolo for the Fiji and winger. Very good signing indeed, but I think the biggest news to sort of come out of rugby this week is the World Rugby Elections. Now, we didn't expect the result to happen this week, last end of last week even. We, we expected it to have at least another sort of two weeks on it, but Bill Beaumont has been re-elected, 28 votes to 23. What's your opinion on this? Yeah, it took, like you say, it took me by surprise when uh, we, we heard that it'd be the next day that we, we get something. And yeah, we did. And Beaumont got it. I think, in my opinion, uh, Bill Beaumont was the best option for the here and now. So I, I this is the one that I'm sort of caught on to because Gus had so much fantastic, so many new fantastic ideas that he was offering. And you know, Beaumont has had four years already and mm -hmm. not much has really changed. Yeah, not much has, uh, not much has changed at all. You could, uh, tr well, I guess it's kind of spot the difference kind of thing, isn't it? Um, but I think for me personally, I think with this coronavirus situation going on, we rugby needs to put on the brakes a little bit. I don't think the time to grow, which was kind of what... Uh, um, he was he was getting at was is not the right thing to do because um growing now trying to find the finance to grow to get these countries in we need to ensure that the 
the big names, the RFU, English Rugby, Six Nations, uh, Sanzar in the Southern Hemisphere, we need to make sure they are, their foundations are, are sound. And I don't think they are at the minute, particularly with coronavirus. Yeah, financial aspect, I think, is, is going to play a huge part. And World Rugby said that they've got an £80 million fund to help nations with the effects of COVID-19. And I suppose that, you know, that is only a good thing because there are going to be huge nations that will suffer from this. And, I mean, New Zealand came out um, last week and sort of said that, you know, they could really suffer. And, and they're the giants of the game. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's quite eye-opening, really, to see the position that rugby's in. But I think to build on that, so to get notions in, like I think Brazil was one that Bill Beaumont mentioned, um, Brazil, Germany, uh, wherever, really, trying to get those in. I think you need to put the the foundations in um, and get those solid before you start building on top. Definitely. And if you look through... Bill Beaumont's manifesto, he's spoken about reaching new territories, revolutionising the rugby calendar and having a game for all. So he's got direction where he wants to take it. I just don't know whether P-Shot would have been that, you know, that younger choice that sort of could relate to the more modern game. Yeah, I think he'd been a bit more, um, I think changes would have happened a bit quicker with uh, P-Shot. I think that that's maybe uh, probably why some of the... I think, was it Japan that swung the vote? Mm, I think so. Yeah, so that could be why they they uh, went opted against. But, um, yeah, the younger, I think he's going to get another go <clears throat> in four years' time, and maybe the time will be right then. See, what sort of amazes me by this whole election is that if you look at what was in place four years ago... There should never have been a re-election. No. There was there was meant to be a natural transition for P-Shot to take this over, and that's obviously not happened. So it does show that the rugby world do have faith in Bill Beaumont and Sir Bill and where he's going with the game. Yeah. But here's here's a question. So he speaks about more representation for the game and more diversity. However, you're looking at the world rugby board if you like how it is now and they don't have a female representation on that and they're talking about growing the women's game and it just sort of feels like they're saying the right things but maybe those aren't coming into play yeah it might be a thing where he's trying to fit in with the the world as it is now so to speak um I mean, obviously women's sport is growing but on his manifesto list i think it was 0.5 the women's yeah. sport, uh, women's rugby, sorry. And um, I, I thought that might have uh, been a bit of a bad move. Maybe bump that up to number two or three, you know, just to yeah. make it not seem like it's hanging on the end. I mean, the women's game is growing at a huge rate and, you know, world rugby will need to sort of recognise that. Let's speak about the global calendar, this sort of cross-hemisphere game that's, in the process of being proposed, what do you make of it all? I hate it. I, I can't strong opinion there. Yeah, I I really can't get my head around. You know, are we going to be playing rugby in July and August every year in the UK? Is that is that what's going to happen? I, I, I think 
No, God, I was just going to say, I think you have to be so careful um, at the moment because club rugby is fantastic. We all love watching our clubs play, whether it's Premiership, Pro 14, you know, anything. But Super Rugby, but you can't take away from the club game because, you know, the global calendar, the international stage is fantastic, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't happen without the clubs. No, exactly. You've got to have, again, like we said earlier, they're they're kind of like the foundations, aren't they? Mm. Um, So to speak. But to to change it, I just, I really, yeah, somebody's, somewhere somebody's going to miss out and if you take away July and August, for example, if you're playing rugby for them, okay, we might find out with the coronavirus, mm. we might find out what it's going to be like, but crowd numbers, I don't think it's going to do the crowd numbers very well. Okay, you're not competing with the likes of uh, Premier League football, Championship football, but you're you're going against like summer holidays um, for the fans, and obviously the crowd numbers in the southern hemisphere aren't that great. No, it's it's huge really sort of where the game is going and I you say someone will miss out and I really hope that it won't be the players and that they'll still be able to get a decent enough rest period because it's all very well saying a global calendar is coming but the players need to have a rest and they need to be the ones benefiting. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and how do you how do you manage it like when do you make the change? Is we see players that move from the southern hemisphere to the northern hemisphere, they they kind of go on and play two seasons back to back mm. without any gaps. Is that something that's going to have to happen for both? Um for everybody involved i don't know it's it will be tough but something does need to happen with rugby i think that's uh, fear of losing what it has and what it had and it needs to modernize in some way now here's an interesting statistic for you the rugby world cup last year was the second highest watched televised event i believe mm-hmm. Behind Gavin and Stacey Christmas special. So there obviously is a huge market there. People want to watch rugby. But what what needs to be done? If you were chairman, mm-hmm. what would you do to sort of help rugby go more modern and into the 21st century a bit more? Number one thing would be to keep the Six Nations and the Champions Cup matches that are currently on Channel 5 on free to air. Yeah. That'd be my number to ensure that that stays uh, forever, um, because you're not going to get those kind of audience figures on uh, Sky Sports, BT Sport, as good as job they do. You're not going to get the audience figures there, and then obviously without any young child watching rugby um, because it's not free to air, they can't watch it. Then they're not there's not going to be a path for them. No, exactly. It has to have somewhere. And I suppose social media is taking everyone by storm, especially at the moment. Everyone's inside, they're on their phones. And it is such an important element sort of to maybe capitalise on for rugby. Yeah, I was actually quite surprised to see um, a lack of teams picking up TikTok things, uh, Mm. particularly during this break. But then again, they did try Snapchat and that didn't work. Uh, they didn't get the hits they liked. So I think he's trying to find the right balance. And once somebody gets it, once somebody 
uh, one of the media teams works out how to how to use social media effectively for rugby, then I think it'll work. But it's just waiting for that minute, I guess. It can take off. I mean, look at Jamal Ford Robinson. He's just one community player of the month, basically for entertaining us all on social media with some fantastically funny videos. So it it is there. There is the potential to reach such a large audience. Absolutely. But if you look at the future, sort of five years down the line, when Beaumont finishes mm-hmm. the his you know four year period, and there is somebody new. Where do you think rugby will be, and who do you who do you think we need to help it progressing? Um, I, I can't put any names on it, but I think we need somebody who is who's really going to take the game and make it kind of a, definitely, like you say, attract that younger audience. That has to happen. Um, I don't know. I think it's. It's just somebody who can put control on over the finances and um just kind of actually grow the game into the into territories like Brazil because in fifteen, twenty years time we can't have the same teams reaching quarterfinals in the World Cups. No. We can't have the okay, Japan this year was uh, different and um yeah, we need more Japan. Uh, Japan's in the world we we do and if you look at sort of the absolute joy that everybody and I'm I'm sure I can say everybody got from Japan making you know the quarterfinal okay maybe not team supporters in their pool but that sort of basis that look what Japan can do look this is an exciting new team ready and hungry and in sort of you know, two World Cups time, they could go really big places and it's fantastic to see. Yeah, I mean, even the story even started uh, four years before when they beat South Africa mm. in uh, England. There was kind of... Little... In Kings Hall. Yeah. Was it? No, no, it wasn't. Uh, there was kind of like, there was kind of like green shoots going on then. And, yeah. um, well, I think, could they have played New Zealand if they'd won, won one more match in Japan in the World Cup or something? And that that would have just been a great, great, great occasion if they'd been if they'd have uh, won. I can I, I think they're good. I don't quite think they were probably the standard that England were when they beat no. New Zealand in the world in the semi final of the World Cup. But they are getting that, and clubs are getting that. And I think that's sort of the thing that we're both sort of taking away from today's podcast is that. The game is going, it is moving, but it sort of needs to maybe hurry up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there you go. 15 minutes roundup of your rugby news this week. We've had a chat. Hope you guys have enjoyed it and join us for episode three, whenever it may be. <laughs> See ya. Bye.